Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. The, we're going to start with the biggest news from the Fishbook family as of this morning, which is this past Monday night, we welcomed our first granddaughter, Hallie Blake Fishbook. There she is right there. It looks like we caught her right in the middle of a hallelujah right there, which is fantastic. Hallie was nine pounds, six ounces. Yeah. And mom, dad, baby, and grandma and grandpa are doing really, really well. Uh, Braden and Olivia were actually watching in the first service, and Hallie saw and got to hear her grandpa preach uh, her very first message ever, and she promptly fell asleep and was out cold through all of it. So apparently I need to up my game today. Anyways, we're so glad that Hallie is with us, and we are so excited about this new chapter in our life. So as we get ready to open the Word of God today, I wanted to call this message, wanted to call it, the cross versus football. But then I realized the people who needed that message actually wouldn't be here this morning. So you can feel free to pass this one on to them, okay? When we started this series, Pastor Wendy said something I really wanted to reiterate. So I'm going to quote my fellow pastor from several weeks ago. She said, I need you to know this morning, I'm going to share some hard truth with you. So up front, I need to say to you, if you start having feelings of shame, that's the enemy. If you start feeling defensive and your response is, yeah, but, yeah, but, that's the enemy. He's looking to knock you off center and off focus, and you have every right as a child of God to tell him where to take that. But if along the way you start feeling some regret or some longing, or you begin to realize there's something missing in your life, don't press, don't blow that off. Press into it. Be okay with feeling uncomfortable and know that what is coming from the Holy Spirit, that the goal of that conviction is always, always to give you something more and better. That's where we're going this morning as well. I've met some amazing Jesus followers in my life. I met John in El Florido, Mexico. At one point in his life, John owned a mansion with a seven-car garage. He drove a different car every day of the week just because he could. And he walked away from all of it in an answer to a call that Jesus put on his life. So years ago, I met John filled with joy, living in and sleeping on the floor of a single-wide trailer on the edge of Tijuana's garbage dump. He was ministering to high school students, and he was sharing the love of Jesus with that community where God had placed him. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, now that's a real follower of Jesus. I met Kirk Bell in inner city Chicago. Kirk was an evangelist with the Holy Evangelistic Crusaders Church of God in Christ South Chicago. That's a good church name right there. And Kirk's motto was, I'm going to win Chicago for Christ or die trying. And he meant it. In a confrontation with a gang member, Jesus stopped a bullet from killing Kirk. Literally stopped the bullet in midair. And after this life-changing moment, Kirk devoted the rest of his life to sharing Jesus with the same gang members that he used to run with. And I remember thinking when I met Kirk, okay, now that, that's a real follower of Jesus. I met John Havland right here. John was a regular guy who brought his anger issues to Jesus and was quietly transformed. 
John showed up in my life when I was floundering under the weight of responsibility that I felt for this church. And John showed me what prayer, service, balance, and love looked like. And I remember thinking to myself when I looked at John, okay, now that's what a real follower of Jesus looks like. I met Mama Jerry right here. Mama Jerry just got back from Africa again. Jerry worships and prays and encourages. She does her job as a caregiver, and she does it all in the name of Jesus. Whenever I see Mama Jerry, I think to myself, okay, now that's what a real follower of Jesus looks like. I look around this room right now, and I see a whole bunch of people that I could point to and embarrass completely, and without a moment of conscience, just say, now that's what a real follower of Jesus looks like. I've met so many different kinds of people, all of whom have shown me that following Jesus can look so differently, but at its core, it always involves a surrendering. A surrendering of what was so that a life of what could be can actually become a reality. At the beginning of this series, Pastor Wendy made the cross-centered life so simple. She said it's as simple as praying and living out this prayer. God, you lead and I'll follow every single day. God, you lead, and I'll follow every single day. The Bible tells us there's some distinguishing markers that accompany a cross-centered life. Let me just share a few of them with you. These are the marks of a cross-centered life. It always starts with a supreme love for Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't say this, Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple unless you love me more than your mother or father, your wife or your children, your brothers and your sisters. You cannot follow me unless you love me more than you love your own life. I mean, Jesus just says it. He goes, you have to love me more than anything. And when you do, you actually become a better son, a better daughter, a better husband, a better wife, and a better friend. And on top of that, you begin to live a life of unselfish service. When you love him more than anything, you live a life of patience, even in the face of trial and wrongdoing. When you love Jesus more than anything, you live a life of zeal, passion, expenditure, self-control, kindness, faithfulness, adventure, and devotion. John 15, 8, Jesus said, This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When you live a cross-centered life, you love Jesus more than anything. And the result of that is a legacy that bears the fruit of this continual surrender that happens day after day after day. Another mark is a denial of self. It's pretty simple. The followers of Jesus choose the way of Jesus over the way of the world. And denying yourself is not just about saying no to everything. People get this wrong idea that it's just no, 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 absolutely not. It's actually about saying yes, yes, yes to everything that Jesus has for you. Another mark is a deliberate choosing of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not just the ones that you like or the ones that fit your custom-made worldview. No, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. All of them. That's challenging. And I don't know about you, but right away in the bottom of my heart, some excuses start showing up. Really, Jesus? Pray for my enemies? Really? Encourage one another, but I just don't feel like it today, Jesus. Judge not, lest you yourself be judged. Oh, that's so hard, right? Because some people are just so judgeable, aren't they? Be self-controlled and alert. 
but I don't want to control that desire. I actually want to indulge that worldly desire. And Jesus says, not if you want to be my disciple and experience what freedom actually feels like. Here's another mark. It's an unswerving commitment to embracing the word of God. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. Help me out, church, and the truth will set you free. Did you see that? If you hold to my teaching, the hard parts, the good parts, the easy parts, the scary parts, the wonderful parts, and the parts that challenge you down into the depth of your soul. If you hold to all of his teaching, then Jesus says, then you're my disciple. One more mark. A commitment to love what and who God loves. We are called as the people of God to love the what and the who that God loves. John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And this is where it gets really hard because we love the love word. Oh, I love loving who God loves, and I love loving what God loves, but there's this corresponding opposite that's more of a struggle. If you're going to love what God loves, it also means you've got to hate what God hates. The Bible says there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community of faith. And I'm just going to let the words of God hang in the air there for a moment, and we can all do a gut check. The Bible tells us one day Jesus is just walking along a road. We have no idea where the road was. He's just out walking, and Jesus encounters three people. Three people in a short little section of Scripture. He has three conversations where three different people come, and they declare a, a decision and a desire to follow, but then an excuse gets in the way. Boy, we all use excuses from time to time, don't we? I've just realized I'm really good at making excuses. From time to time, right, we want to put off a commitment that we don't want to keep. We want to avoid a conversation we don't want to have. We don't want to own a mistake that we don't want to own. And so we just make excuses. I found some excuses that people actually sent their employers as to why they were going to be late for work. One person said, I will be late to work today. I got stuck in the blood pressure machine at the grocery store and couldn't get out. Seriously. Another one, I was late because I had a job interview with another firm. <laughs> Not smart. Another one, my train went to the wrong station. Therefore, I shall be late to work. Here's another one. I'll be late to work because my washing machine overflowed into the apartment below, where it caused a short circuit, which produced a small fire, but the firemen broke into the wrong flat, which started a burglar alarm, and when the police came to check, they thought, I was the burglar, and I've only just been recently released from custody. <laughs> Had to have happened on a Monday, right? Here's my personal favorite. I can't come to work at all because WebMD says I'm dying. Excuses, we all have them. 
And this weekend, I just want to unpack three case studies in discipleship excuses. So here's the conversation. The Bible says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That's passionate. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I appreciate the passion, right, in the declaration. Those are some big words. I will follow you wherever you go. Really? What if following Jesus leads you into an awkward conversation with your neighbor? Are you still willing to follow? What if following Jesus demands that you give up your job because ethically it's not in alignment with God's heart? What if following actually means you will have to get in harm's way? What if following means you're going to have to speak up and talk about Jesus in a place where it's not politically correct to share anything? What if following means you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone and actually stay there? What if following means all of the above? And what if you discover it's worth it? What if you do this and you actually build a relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus? What if you do this and that person actually gives their heart to Christ and their whole eternity is changed? What if you do this and God actually protects you every step of the way? What if you discover that following Jesus brings with it an extraordinary peace in an extraordinary life because the cost of following Jesus is actually worth it? I love this passage. Jesus is just being real with this guy. You say you want to follow? I appreciate that. How about towards homelessness? Oh. So will you still follow if there's not a comfortable night's sleep, a pillow, a bed, and a meal secured by the end of the day? I mean, Jesus is asking a question. How much do you actually have to have secured in your life before you will follow? And then he says that a fox has a den and a bird has a nest, but I don't have anywhere to call home. And that's okay, because if you follow me, you're going to learn something. You're going to learn this world is not your home. It's not your final destination. This world that you live in is temporary, but the home that I am preparing for you in following me is eternal. Will you still follow or not? Remember what I said at the beginning? This is an uncomfortable truth. The cost of a cross-centered life is high. The cross of Jesus demands everything to be surrendered so that everything can be gained in light of eternity. Jesus asked a question from a few weeks ago. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? So how about me and how about you? Is the cost of following Jesus too high? Some of you are looking at this section and you go, Granite, I don't quite get it because, like, where's the excuse? The guy just says, he makes a declaration. Jesus says some things. Where's the excuse? Well, here's what you need to know. In Middle Eastern literature, there's an interesting little ripple. Whenever you don't see a positive response, you will often hear silence. And in this moment, the silence is deafening. You see, in not saying yes, this is the answer. No. It's a quiet refusal. I'm sorry, Jesus, the cost is just too high. For this man, here's the excuse. This just costs too much. 
Jesus keeps walking. Another guy shows up. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Doesn't that response seem a little harsh to anybody else other than me? I mean, Jesus, I just need to take care of my dad's funeral, right? I need to go to the lawyer's office and make sure the will is followed. I need to make sure that my siblings don't get a dime more than I'm supposed to, right? I, I need to make sure that mom is taken care of. And you actually said, honor your mother, so I've got funeral arrangements to make, and, and then I'll be right there. Then I will follow you. It actually sounds very legitimate, or, or does it? In the Middle Eastern world, at the time of Jesus, burial was a process. In North America, modern times, we usually take care of it within four or five days, right, of someone passing away. The funeral happens quickly. But in the Middle Eastern world, there was a process. If your loved one died, this is what you would do. You would place them in a tomb for a year. You would seal the tomb. You'd come back at the end of the year, collect the bones, and then you would bury them in a box that was called an ossuary. If you've ever seen a picture of Jerusalem, the hillsides are completely covered in white ossuaries. They're everywhere. This young man is not talking about delaying his discipleship for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Now, this is what he's actually saying. He goes, Jesus, I'll be with you in about a year. But in the meantime, I have something more important to take care of. Do you see the words? If you go back and check the scripture to make sure that I'm telling you the truth and not lying to you, you're going to see these words, and I would encourage you to underline them. The words are the embodiment of an excuse. But first, let me. But first, let me take care of this, and then I'll come and follow you. But first, God, I've got some other things. I've got to get in line, and then I'll come and follow you. But first, let me. Does that sound familiar? Jesus, I'll follow you as soon as I get through college. But first, let me experience certain things that I know are outside of your permissions. Let me, let me do those first. I, I promise that I'll get back to you, but total devotion for you, it's just going to have to wait for a little while. Jesus, I will follow you, but, but first let me get through this fantasy football season because it's just so time-consuming. I saw a number of elbows fly during that one. Jesus, I will follow you, but first let me make my fortune, secure my future, and take care of me. Jesus, church just doesn't really have a place in my life right now, but when I have a family, I will make sure that we will be following you because those kids of mine, they're really going to need to know what it means to live a cross-centered life. It's so subtle. Oh, Jesus, yes, for sure. Absolutely, Jesus, just not yet. But first, let me take care of this. And Jesus responds, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is for right here and right now. And truthfully, as much as it may put some of us back on our heels, it needs to be said. If Jesus is not Lord of everything, then he's not Lord at all. For this man, here's the excuse. Not yet. Not yet. So I have to ask myself, Grant, what are the excuses and the delays? 
What Jesus wants is, is you're right here and you're right now. You lead and I'll follow starting right now. One more conversation, verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. That sounds legitimate. Verse 62, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I mean, surely that's legitimate, right? Like, God, before I follow you, I just want to go back and say goodbye to mom and dad. Let me be clear. Jesus is not saying your family doesn't matter. Jesus is saying once a commitment is made to Christ, no one should be able to pull your attention away from following Jesus. This is not Jesus saying, follow me and ditch them. It's follow me and trust me with them. And then Jesus uses an agricultural picture. Picture a, a, a horse dragged plow or an oxen dragged plow. He says, if you try to plow a furrow looking backwards over your shoulder, once you've laid your hands to it, if you look back over your shoulder, it's only a matter of time until you drift off center. You're never going to plow a straight line. It works the same in a car, right? If you drive down the street looking back over your left or right shoulder, I promise you, you're naturally going to drift off the road into a ditch, another car, or a storefront, right? You've got to keep your eyes on the road. You've got to keep your eye where you're going. What direction are we supposed to be going? That way. Always. Let's make this personal. I, I wonder how many of us have had someone pull our attention off of the direction that Jesus is calling us towards. So the excuse sounds like this. Jesus, I want to follow, but they. But they. Jesus, I want to honor you with my body, but my boyfriend might break up with me. But they. Can I be your dad and your grandpa for just a moment? If that's the situation you're in, break up now. You are worthy of honor. Jesus, I want to be committed, but my philosophy group at school, if I say something about you, they're going to think I'm a Bible-thumping Jesus freak, and I really actually care about what they think, but they... Jesus, I want to follow, but my dad keeps telling me to be a real man and make my own way in the world, but, but him. Jesus, I want to follow you, but some of the things you say are really hard to follow, and it looks like my friends are having so much fun, but they. So that's the excuse, right? I'm going to follow God. I really, really will, but first... But first, but they, the cross-centered life is really all about priorities. And anytime we say to Jesus, I'm going to follow, but first, or but they, this is what we're saying. I've got something more important to do than following you. Here's the last excuse. But them, but they. Let's make this really personal. So I have always struggled with people's opinions of me. Public perception has been an idol. At times in my life, I have struggled with it. I've struggled to hold the opinions of man in check in my heart, even though I know what the Bible says. The Bible says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or God? Am I trying to please men? Too many times the opinion of people have meant more to me 
than the call of Jesus. It's been a prevailing issue in my walk, which means this. You've got your issues and I've got mine. Let me take you back to a moment in my own life. I grew up in Brandon, Manitoba, and my family went to Faith Fellowship Baptist Church. The biggest problem with Faith Fellowship, in my opinion, was its location. You see, Faith Fellowship Baptist Church was located directly across from a 7-Eleven store that had a parking lot, which is where all of my friends hung out almost every single evening. This was no big deal on most nights, but on Sunday nights and on Wednesday nights, it was a problem for me because the Fishbook family was a go-to-Sunday-school-morning-service-Sunday-evening-service-and-Wednesday-evening-prayer-meeting kind of family. Can I get an amen from anybody who grew up that way? There you go, okay? So I had a problem. How am I going to get to church in front of my friends? This was my solution for Sunday nights because I didn't want to be seen going into church by my friends. I would jerry-rig the back door on Sunday mornings and then on Sunday evenings I would leave a little later than my parents. I would drive back alleys to get to the building, slip in the back door, play the good little Christian boy, sneak back out the back door, drive a circuitous route so that I could drive right back into the 7-Eleven parking lot and be like, hey, how's it going? Graham, where you been? Oh, working. Here's the bottom line. It was ashamed of Jesus. The opinions of my friends meant more than the king who died for me. Until one night in my senior year, I was too late to make it to the back door of the building. And in my family, there was no excuse for being late to church. We had like an 11th commandment. <laughs> Thou shalt not be late for church. That's just how it worked. I should start preaching that one sometimes, just saying. Um, and I found myself parked around the corner from the church and the 7-Eleven staring at my friends, trying to choose between their opinion and the call of Jesus on my life, and a song started playing on my car stereo. And the lyrics are burnt into my soul. But who are we to say we really love him when all we seem to do is throw his love away? Will we smile when we stand before him and laugh all the hours away or cry for the friends we left behind along the way? I had a decision to make. Would I continue to be ashamed of Jesus or would I choose to be unashamed just this once? That night I drove into the church parking lot. I felt all of the eyes of my friends drilling into the back of my 1978 Honda Civic. I walked into church because how could I reach them if I was not following the one who loved them enough to die for them? And how could I claim to love them if I chose their opinion of me over the opinion of Jesus? That was just a single moment for me. It's been followed by hundreds, if not thousands, of more moments when I had to make a choice, Jesus or not. I will tell you, sometimes I got it right and sometimes I got it wrong. These three men had a choice. Here's what's so difficult about the passage. There's no resolution. We don't know what happened to the three men. We don't know what choice they ultimately made. 
We have no idea. We, we don't know if two out of three said yes or if one of them said no and then had a change of heart and came back later on. We have absolutely no idea. We're left with this cling or this cliffhanger. We don't know what choice they made, but we can know what choice we need to make right now. So I'm watching the body language in the room and I know what's happening in some of your hearts. And I'm going to share something with you. This is where I got stuck over and over and over again in my own life. I would hear a message like this on the cost of following Jesus. And this was my takeaway. Following Jesus is hard. That cross is heavy. And now the pastor just told me a whole bunch of things that followers of Jesus are supposed to do. And this is my conclusion. I am the worst Jesus follower ever. I'm never going to get it right. And I wish I had not come to church today. Is your brother. Don't go that way. Learn from my mistakes. Don't let Satan use shame in your life right now. Don't ever forget Jesus took your shame to the cross. He defeated it along with sin and death and the grave. If Jesus took your place on the cross, don't place yourself back there. I want to remind you, Jesus did go to the cross of shame, but three days later, he triumphed over the cross, came back to life, and that's the life he's inviting you into today. Don't let the enemy steal anything from you right now. You are a dearly loved son or daughter of the Most High God. When he looks at you, he does not see failure. Amen. He sees his purpose for you the best part of the story we all fall short but jesus paid the full price jesus said i'm not going to wait for a year to save you i'm going to save you right now right in this moment jesus said I, I choose you you are my them you are my they you are mine and following me is the greatest joy, life, and hope that a human being can experience. Following Jesus can be the greatest joy and the greatest adventure because whatever you surrender, God gives you back in the richness of the authentic. You surrender lust, and God gives you real intimacy. You surrender insecurity, and God gives you a whole new identity. You surrender worry, and God gives you a quiet confidence that God is in control. You surrender shame and God gives you security that you are fully loved just as you are. You surrender your life and God gives you the life he created for you and I can tell you it comes with purpose and joy and hope. So here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to take this message and have the takeaway be, I'm really, really bad at this. No. No. We're going to reject this corporately as a shame moment. And we're going to accept it as a decision moment. A declaration moment. Earlier in the service, I heard you sing a song. I stood right back there in the wings and I listened to you. You said, it came out of your mouths, most of you, Christ is enough for me. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. 
So today, we're not going to let shame win. Instead, we're going to declare, if today is a new start for you, then start today. If one of the marks has slipped off the table, bring it back. Make the commitment. Make the step. Make the journey the journey of a lifetime. So church, I'm going to challenge you right now. Would you stand up? Would you stand? Would you sing? Would you open your mouth? You're like, Grant, I don't have a good singing voice. It doesn't matter. The Bible says make a joyful noise. Just sing the declaration. Sing that he's enough. Sing that he's your all in all. Andy, Randy, would you lead us? Let's go right now and make the declaration. If you need to, put your hands in the air. Surrender everything that you have right now in this moment. Let's worship together. God bless you guys.